The following program was made possible by the generosity of those who have determined to hold fast to the true Roman Catholic religion, as expounded by the Roman Catholic Church before the disasters of Vatican II and the so-called New Mass. Hello and welcome to What Catholics Believe. I'm your host, Thomas Nagley, and with me tonight is Father William Jenkins. He is a priest member of the Society of St. Pius V. He's also the pastor of Immaculate Conception Church right here in Norwood, Ohio. Hello, Father. How are you tonight? Very fine, Tom. Thank you. How are you doing? Well, Father, thanks for asking. Father, I thought we could start tonight with an interesting email that we received from a viewer with a link to an article Concerning the topic of usury, this has been a, a recurrent theme on this program over the years. I know it uh, it always ignites some kind of controversy, so I thought we could uh, briefly go through some of the points made in this article, Father, and get your take on them. So, just to summarize here, this writer says that the idea that the lender can't use the money when he lends is the classical argument to rationalize usury. But the bank doesn't actually lend anything. It's all credit by bookkeeping. So he says the time value of money is the notion that holding money today is worth more than tomorrow. And then he goes on to say that nowadays the creditors are usually banks and the banks don't actually lend anything. They only create credit by bookkeeping. That is what fractional reserve banking is. Double entry bookkeeping in which debit and credit are implicit and automatic. Would you say that that's true, Father? I would say yes. Okay. Mm. Okay. So, would you agree with this? That is his point. With this point, this time value hoax, as he as he terms it. Well, you know, when we're talking about usury and we're talking about the financial system today and the banking system today, I would have to agree with what I think his point is, and that is the the banking system today is a gigantic hoax, I believe, and and, and it is usurious, isn't it? About it. I mean, the very idea of fractional reserve, right? That people um, deposit money with a bank, right? Um, and the bank then holds a certain reserve and then lends as though it's their money, lends that to others, right? And uh, can lend 10 times, 20 times, 50 times what they're actually worth or what they actually hold, uh, not of their own money, but of yours, right? Of all the depositors. Uh, there's obviously something really, really immoral about that. Um, the, with the idea that all the creditors are not going to claim their money at the same time. So there won't be a run on the bank. They take that uh, as, as a signal that they can then lend that money out, not only lend it out, but for every dollar they have, they can lend out $100 for every one they have or $1,000 for every dollar they hold you know, in, in reserve. Um, there's obviously something really, really wrong about with that whole idea, right? fractional reserve system. And um, <clears throat> so they're just basically playing uh, a shell game with money, not only a shell game, but even even worse than that. I mean, it's, it's sort of like some uh, trying to play some kind of magic trick on people with regards to money. And uh, not only that, but you've got these traders who are really trading nothing, you know, they're trading shares in, in, in what? I mean, is there any real, real value there? Are they just, is it all a huge, gigantic Ponzi scheme, you know? 
I mean, I think one could make the argument that the entire system is a gigantic Ponzi scheme. The, the, the idea of modern banking, you know. Um, what, what concerns me is, though, people can conflate that with capitalism, free enterprise. So they're not the same thing. Okay. What, what this banking system was created by moneyed powers, Rothschilds and so on, Rothschilds. Mm -hmm. It's not Rothschilds, it's Rothschild. The, the Red Shields is what their name means. The House of Rothschild. And uh, going back before them, I mean, there were, there were money speculators, money, money lenders, right? And they would finance wars with kings and they would actually have kingdoms go into hock to them, right? And uh, it was just, that was their business, really, of doing that. Sure. So uh, rather than, than financing anything that was actually productive, they were financing destruction. Um, that is a very different thing from the principle of the capitalist system where you actually invest in something productive, get added value to, to it, inventiveness and, uh, and uh, make, make uh, goods that were uh, really the result of someone's creativity, someone's inventiveness, that really served a useful purpose and then made them as widely, widely available as possible to people. Um, so that even those who, you know, would be, had a modest income could afford to better themselves and, and, uh, you know, obtain, obtain appliances and so on that made life a lot easier, like the washing machine and so on. Um, if it were not for, for the free market and capitalism, that would have, that would not have happened. So the idea of investors uh, wanting to invest their wealth in an idea that could be developed and produce good and um, and actually promote the, the common good of the society. That's, that's what the capitalist notion is all about. This is the idea that uh, actually goes against Marxism entirely because Marx had no room for a middle class. There were the, the owners, uh, the, the bourgeoisie, and there were the laborers who didn't own anything. All they could give was their labor. There was no middle class possible in, in that in that sense. And that's why whenever you have socialism take on over, take over society, they have to destroy the middle class. <clears throat> and the middle class, it just is either, it either withers away or it is violently done to death, right? Um, because the whole system is bent upon the bourgeoisie and the proletariat, right? Capital and labor. Mm -hmm. And it can't, it can't allow for a class that owns and works, that is capital and labor, right? That is bettering itself and by its own labor can then reward itself by acquiring and, uh, and owning and producing. Um, that's what capitalism really, really is all about. It's not so much about making just a handful of rich people uh, or enriching even a multitude of people. It's about enabling as many people as possible to be laborers and owners, mm -hmm. right? Mm -hmm. So, um, in other words, to have their own businesses okay. with their own, the result of their own work. And, uh, you know, the investment in something like that, that's not usury. But lending money you don't have, requiring money in return that you don't have, that no one has, that has to be created from somewhere or stolen from someone else, that's what usury is really all about. So, Father, is it intrinsically immoral for a bank to be loaning money in a, in a Catholic economic system? Would we have 
who would be loaning the money? Would it be individuals owning the money? Because obviously it would be much much harder for an individual to forge some kind of bookkeeping thing and create this money out of nothing. They would actually have to have real money, whereas a, a large institution like a bank, like he says, could do some kind of bookkeeping thing and just create this money on the books and make it appear. And, well, and again, I, I think you, know, you can have banks without the fractional reserve system. You can have banking without the idea of... Uh, you know, the bank then having rights to take your money and treat it as though it were its own mm-hmm. and uh, to loan it out at, you know, a, a hundred times the amount that they have on hand. Mm-hmm. Uh, a system doomed to failure and a system doomed to be inflationary. Right? I mean, you get, you've got to create money to pay right. back what wasn't there to begin with. Right? Right. You've got to pay back more money than you started with. Right. <clears throat> so there's inherent inflation involved in that. But, um, you know, the, the story is that banks started when people had money, they had wealth, or the coins or whatever, and uh, rather than hide it in the mattress, they would take it and, you know, put it in the care of some trustworthy individual who would lock it away and make sure it was, quote-unquote, safe, right? Mm-hmm. Um, so that they knew that their money could not be destroyed or stolen. It was safe there for them to get. So somebody would, you know, offer that service to, to guard the money, as it were. And, um, but then, of course, those, this is the story as I've gotten it, uh, who had the money thought, well, gee, why let this money just sit here and do nothing? Um, maybe I should lend this out and uh, make a profit out of myself, right? Maybe I could even offer to uh, split the profit of lending it out with the person who brought the money in the first place, who deposited with me, and we have a little deal going on, right? So then they became the money lenders, okay? <coughs> and um, things began going downhill after that because they realized, well, my goodness, you know, I, I can start <coughs> being a creditor myself with somebody else's money and uh, charge them so much for the money. Now, you know, as long as someone deposited their money with them for safekeeping, then the uh, the person who was watching the money was performing a service, and the service was guarding it, keeping it safe, and, you know, making sure that it couldn't be stolen or mm-hmm. destroyed or whatever. Uh, so that person would be entitled to a fee, right. you know, and, and a person then would have the choice to decide whether or not to pay the fee and deposit the money or just keep it under the mattress, you know. But uh, when they start lending it out, and they start lending it out not only in terms of what they actually had on hand, right? Um, when they start lending somebody else's money out, even according, if, if they had a, a thousand uh, ducats deposited with them, or a thousand florins or whatever, and uh, they would lend out only a thousand florins because that's all they actually had, right? Then at least there were some controls. One could, you know, ask the creditors who lent, who deposited the money, would you like me to invest it for you? And maybe they could somehow justify that. Again, if they were investing it in something that was productive, mm-hmm. um, if they're just lending it out to people who want to wage war, if they're lending it out to people who are destitute and can't feed the family, obviously you're going to have to, um, well, that that is not right. You know, the Old Testament usury was considered to be a matter of taking advantage of people who are poor and in need, and demanding what they could not pay, so that you can actually 
take from them. You know, it was just putting them in a position where you could actually take away what, they, what little they did have. Mm-hmm. So, uh, so it was very roundly condemned as being totally unjust, you know. Right. But as I say, I think the capitalist idea of, uh, you know, someone has an idea that it would be a real improvement uh, and, a, and a, a great uh, benefit for people who would need some, let's shall we say, funding, right? Crowdfunding, you might say, like we have nowadays, you know. Or what do they call it? Crowdfunding. Crowdfunding, okay. <clears throat> Where people say, yeah, I'd, I'd like to see this idea go to market. I'd like to see this developed. And, and uh, I'd like to see the benefit of this, you know, go mm-hmm. as widely as possible. And I'd like to make some money on it because money is, people are, are going to want this. It'll be worth it to them. Mm-hmm. Um, so everybody benefits from that, right? That's different from having something that is totally unproductive. Mm-hmm. <clears throat> And demanding more money back than you than you gave in the first place. Uh, it's the idea of money creation out of nothing that is usury. Okay, that idea of fractional reserve banking lending out more money than you actually have on hand that, that it's inherently usurious. It it kind of reminds me of the parable in the gospel where the the master of the household leaves is on some some trip and he leaves his his household in the care of of others and they mistreat his servants and abuse his goods and all of this and they hope that the master doesn't come back but when he does come back and he finds them you know running his household in this way he, he condemns them for that and that seems to be akin to what they're well doing. there's there are other parables too remember when the uh, householder was leaving and he gave the ten the five and the one uh, the one well in one parable you have Manas M-N-A-S right that's in the uh Gospel for the feast day of St. Louis of France, but uh, in April, in August. But uh, then you have the talents, right? The ten, the five, and the one talent mm-hmm. were given to the servants, you know. And so the one servant <clears throat> uh, doubled the ten. It doesn't say how, right? But he doubled the ten <clears throat> to twenty. The other doubled the five to ten, I think it was, something like that. Uh, and the one servant who received one talent went and buried it, okay? And uh, the reason he gave, the excuse he gave was, well, I knew you were a hard man, and that you, you know, taking what you did not deserve, and so rather than risk losing this, I buried it, and it was not productive. And so I'm just returning your one talent there. At least I didn't lose it, right? But the the householder said to the man, well, wait a minute. If you knew I was a hard man and I took what I didn't deserve, what didn't belong to me, then why didn't you give it to the users to invest? And then you would have gotten money back that a user would give and a user would get. So in other words, he was saying that that is usury. Right, taking what is not yours. He was saying that's usury. If you said that's what I, the kind of person I am, why didn't you do it and get the usury? Mm-hmm. In other words, you're not honest. <laughs> if, that, if that's what you really thought, that's what you would have done. Mm-hmm. But the the point of the parable is that that really is what usury is. Now, I, what I would have liked to have heard <coughs> in the parable is how did that servant double? How did the other servants double the amount, you know? Mm-hmm. And uh, one gets the impression, impression it wasn't through usury, that it was through some productive investment. 
but it's not spoken there. One thing's for sure, though. When the servant, you know, said, you're a hard man, you take what you don't deserve, what is not yours. And the master said, well, then why didn't you just do it through usury? Because that's what that is, essentially. I, I don't know if that uh, no, helps. I, I thought it was kind of interesting that it's mentioned specifically there. Mm -hmm. I think the master calls the servant who doubled his talents. He says, good and faithful servant. Mm -hmm. So it would seem to uh, that, he, that he's... He did it some honest way. He did an increase in an honest way. And rightful way. Father, in this article, there's there's another point that the author makes, and this is um, doesn't necessarily apply to banks, but just any individuals perhaps loaning money in general. He says, even if money was printed debt-free or if we used gold to back all the money, usury would still be both wrong and unnecessary because people save to use it later. So in other, in other words, he's essentially saying that People are saving their money because they don't want to use it right now. So they're not losing any money on something that they are, by the very fact that they're saving it, they're not using it. So how would you, how would you uh, respond uh, to that? I guess I don't idea? understand his point. Quite. He's saying that people are saving their money, so they're not using it, obviously. So This is would be users. Anyone. So they're not lending their money out, they're mm -hmm. saving it. So... An individual is who's saving his money. He's saving his money because he doesn't want to use it right now. So if he loans it out, if he's not going to uh, to loan that out to anyone. He's saving it because he doesn't want to use it right now. So he's saying if he was to charge usury on that, to charge any interest on that would be immoral because he's not losing any money because he wouldn't be using that money in the first place. He intends to save it. If that makes any sense. <laughs> I can read what, what he wrote here if I might might help a little bit. He says, okay. um, he says uh, they don't want to use the money now, otherwise they would not save, so they lose absolutely zero by not being able to use it now if they lend it out. Not using it now but later is the essence of saving. And if we are not going to use it now, why not let somebody else use it in the meantime? Even if we think inflation is wrong, most inflation in the sense of rising prices since the war was caused by even higher interest charges passed on through prices. It was not caused by money printing. The extra money was printed to pay off the usury. Interest-bearing money cannot exist without eternally rising prices well, or I, eternal deflation. I think he's a bit wrong there, in, in, okay. a, in a sense, uh, because the money supply should somehow, to, be, to keep the value of money e even, with the passage of time, right? Um, if the, the money supply should be geared according to the goods and services available in the society. So as the society becomes more wealthy, <clears throat> becomes wealthier in terms of, um, you know, inventions and production of uh, food, clothing, shelter, ba those basics and other things, it's not wrong to have the money supply increase <clears throat> in order to actually... Uh, you know, stay abreast of the, of the of the value of all those things in the society, right? So, uh, but what, what I object to about what this man is saying is that, uh, if it is a man, is that, um, you know, if, he, if the man keeps the money, he's not lost it. So why would he be entitled to interest if he did decide to lend it out instead? Um, but again, if you have inflation in society, uh, then, in other words, what, what he's kind of implying that if holding money did constitute a loss of value, as it would, I mean, let's face it, if you're holding money now, yeah. 
and inflation is going on, then your money's losing value right. as you're holding it. What he's implying, it seems to me, is that if you're holding your money and saving it, and it is going down in value, then you would be entitled to try to offset that by lending it out and charging an interest rate that would, let's say, at least allow your money to maintain its value by increasing it. You understand what I mean? Sure. And I don't, I don't necessarily agree with that whole idea. Okay. Now, maybe he would agree with me, that, uh, or she would agree with me, <clears throat> that it's a vicious circle, you know, the, the, he seemed to imply, or even state perhaps, <clears throat> that the more money that is put into circulation, then that affects the value of the money. I mean, as you flood, the, that's what inflation means, inflate the money supply, and um, <clears throat> now you have more money freely available. And prices are going to rise because the money is there. Right. People can charge more, right? right? And the more the prices rise, the more money people need, right? So it's kind of a vicious circle there. But also, the more interest rates are, are, are raised, more, more loans that are made, the more money is lent, then the more money has to come back to pay off the principal and the interest, right? That also requires that you inflate the money supply. You've got to add money to an inflationary economy, mm -hmm. which requires the creation of money to pay back all the loans. And so that too, I mean, from that point of view, it's a vicious circle. You've got to be pumping more money in. So we have the Federal Reserve, which is, a, you know, this is not the United States government. This is pr a private banking concern is what it is. Mm -hmm that actually lends money to our government, our government, our United States government. And uh, we are responsible for those loans. And then the, the Federal Reserve actually distributes the money to the banking system, actually entitles our treasury, right, to, uh, to print money for us, right? Um, and the, the whole thing is, uh, well, you know, we said back, back when that Woodrow Wilson actually sold the United States of America into, sl into slavery, into economic slavery when he brought the Federal Reserve in. It is also said that that's one reason why Andrew Jackson was, was killed, that he was actually murdered, the story is, because he absolutely was death in the central banks. But <clears throat> um, he wasn't going to allow the United States of America to be enslaved by this central banking system, which the Federal Reserve system is, certainly. Mm -hmm. So, um, you know, we're told that the Federal Reserve System is going to save us from all kinds of economic crises and keep us on an even keel economically, and you see what that does. How's that working out? It's not working too well. <laughs> and it couldn't work too well. It wasn't meant to work well. Not for us, anyway. It wasn't meant to be for our favor. It is, it is enriching a handful of people, making them just un, un, unimaginably wealthy. Uh, and giving them extreme amount of power over our lives and over our countries. Mm -hmm. So, you know, this is a prelude to socialism. Spend your nation into debt and uh, make your nation a debtor nation and the whole country and everybody in the country owes a, a creditor, you know, who is not your country, <laughs> you know, who is uh, outside your country. So we, we talk about... We think about the other nations of the world being better debtor nations. We are a debtor nation, big time, <laughs> okay. because of the Federal Reserve. Right. 
So, uh, I, I mean, I agree with this gentleman in principle, but uh, I think we could have a lively discussion about some of the other, some of the other aspects. As I say, Tom, my concern is that people not conflate the whole idea of capitalism and the free market system and being able to fund inventiveness and see the value of that <coughs> to produce goods and services that really enhance, that, that aid people, that, that really help people live better lives, you know, even lives in this world. Obviously, we'd like it all tied together with this supernatural and spiritual life, too. But I mean, to to encourage and to promote and to fund the inventiveness of people is not something contrary to the faith. It is God who gave people the, this inventiveness, right? It's a matter of the soul here. And, um, you know, the fact that we're created in the image of God, that we can do these things. God has given us these powers, and we, he wants them to be developed for our own benefit, though. And uh, unfortunately, right now, uh, that is not being done. Uh, things are being skewed, and when the government itself is in collusion with the um, with uh, financial interests, um, and it's kind of a, a cartel almost, you know, unto itself. Uh, when they're working hand in glove, you already have socialism. When the government controls the means of production, because the politicians and the the business, uh, shall we say, the, the big business moguls are working hand in hand for each other's benefit to keep each other in power, then you have socialism. Right. Father, one final point on this, just to bring it down to a more practical level. It seems to me that so much of this usury issue could be solved, at least on a more personal level, by, by uh, more responsibility, more personal responsibility with money. Because it, it seems that this issue is so often raised because there are so many Americans, so many people who are just drowning in debt. And they, they can't even seem to get ahead because they're just only paying the interest on their loans. And, you know, here in America, it's just we have the, the student loan crisis well over a, a trillion dollars, maybe even two trillion dollars now in student loan debt. I don't know. But there's, there's now so talk about the seats of socialism right there. That everybody comes into a professional career owing the government right. his life, right? right? And uh, the, 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 the most important, the most difficult thing a person faces when he gets his degree is how am I going to pay, pay back the government for this? Yeah. And where did the government get the money in the first place? You know, is another <laughs> question. But talk about selling yourself into slavery. Yeah. Um, this, is a, this is a major problem here. And a lot of those degrees aren't worth, they aren't worth the money that was... Um, given in loans, right? It's impossible almost to pay it back. So talk about a system that is doomed, that is absolutely destined to fail. But that's what socialism is. I mean, imagine going around and asking people in the world today, what do you think of the idea if we just let the politicians take control of everything? And we let the politicians control our food supply and our air supply, our water supply, let the politician control what clothing can be produced and what shelter we can use to live in, what we, you know, how we can house our families and so on. Uh, how many are in favor of that? Well, if out of a room of any, let's say, 100 people, I, I'd be surprised if you found one person who would agree to that, except maybe the politicians. Eh? If you had politicians in the room, they, they would all be in favor of that. You know, yeah, sure, give us the power. 
But there, there should be about the only ones. I wouldn't be so sure, Father. Just today, I saw an article where I don't have the exact numbers, but there, there was a survey they did, and they noticed, in particular, the like, younger groups of Americans that they are uh, more and more in favor of more government control, being in fa- being in charge of their daily lives. They want more welfare. They want more programs from the government. They want the government to have more control. Well, that's because they think well, your government, okay, but I don't know that they would say. Yes, I want the politicians. For some reason, these people don't. They, they they see the government as some sort of a mystic power out there. The government, you know, um, almost divine, almost like a divine power. That is their god, almost, you know. But you know, in terms of the politicians, they don't see them. They, I mean, in terms of the political hacks, you know, uh, the politicians. Um, regardless of where they are in in government, right, what what positions they hold, and all the bureaucracy that comes from that, all the bureaucrats that they have intel, that control the the nitty-gritty things, you know, the things that actually apply to people's lives. Because the politicians can make all the laws they want, right? But the bureaucrats are the ones who actually apply them, you know? So you take that entire apparatus... And you pull the curtain aside because Toto is tugging on the on the <laughs> dance cuff, and you see the Wizard of Oz back there, okay? And you realize, oh, look, this is just a regular guy, you know? <clears throat> but he's got his arms on the levers, you know, the thunder and lightning and everything else, and that makes him the, 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 the great Wizard of Oz. And you say, well, I didn't want him running my life, you know? <clears throat> I'm going to kowtow and bow down before the great wizard here. But uh, when I see, actually, this is just these bureaucrats and politicians who put them into power, uh, going basically running my life. And that's what they, they do for a living. That's their living, controlling my life, telling me what I can have and can't have, what I can do and what I can't do, and what I must do or else, you know then I think people get a little bit of a reality. They smell the smelling salts. They come, too, out of the stupor, and they realize, well, no, that's not what I want. I mean, uh, Alexandria Ocasio-Cortez may be all in favor of socialism if she were in the government and she were one of those politicians, you know, telling everybody else how they have to live. But if she... She doesn't like it when she's not in that position, when she's a regular private citizen and has everybody else telling her how she has to live, the government, she doesn't like that at all. So, uh, you know, I just had a conversation the other day with uh, a woman uh, from Cuba. And um, she was telling me what the conditions are in Cuba. Uh, The farmers can raise a cow, but if they kill a cow, they can go to prison for 10 years. She said seven, but then someone with her said, no, it's actually longer than that. So if you kill a cow to eat it, you can raise it, but it's not yours. It's not your cow. You can raise it, but you're raising it for somebody else. Notably, the bureaucrats, the government owns your cow, right? If you're caught with beef, the meat, beef in your refrigerator or freezer, if you have (laughs) that luxury, You can be sent to jail for seven years. 
for having beef in your in your uh, refrigerator. Um, you're allowed to have chickens and the eggs they produce. You're allowed to have pork. So you can raise pigs. Um, and you can eat the chicken and you can eat the pigs. But beef, that's only for the the those who are the nomenclatura, the, 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 the government. She says, even though they, they have no chocolate over there, uh, it, what, whatever little they can get is extremely expensive. <clears throat> they don't have sugar. Now, they raise sugar. What does a socialist government do with its sugar? It sells it. <clears throat> Who does it sell it to? Other lands, other governments that can afford it. Capitalist <laughs> governments that can afford to buy the sugar. <clears throat> buy the sugar. And the socialists are very happy to sell it to them because that enriches them. Okay, the bureaucrats and the politicians, but the people don't get it. They can't have it. <clears throat> what else? Coffee, she says. Coffee, Cuba. You'd think of all things coffee. She says coffee is almost impossible to get over there. They get coffee over there, <clears throat> and when you find it, it's extremely expensive. You know. <clears throat> now you mean to tell me that uh, Raúl Castro doesn't have coffee and sugar or beef? I don't believe it. No, he's not one of the comrades. Uh, to that extent, right? That he's willing to give these things up, right? No, he's got everybody else's coffee and sugar and chocolate and beef, right? And his buddies in the in the government. So, um, but as she was explaining this to me, I, I was I was I was really shocked. She says, "Yeah, when we, <coughs> um, if a Cuban person leaves the United States and goes to visit relatives in Cuba, they have to take some of these things with them. It's like a, a great a great boon." And some of those goods are produced in Cuba, sold to us, and then families have to travel there and take these things back as gifts to the people who even produce them. And this is what socialism does. Um, I mean, it's a criminal enterprise, socialism. Socialism is a top-to-bottom criminal enterprise. And um, it is Marxism applied with a vengeance, of course, without conscience. Um, can I say, um, the only people who would really be in favor? Well, I mean, look, if Ocasio-Cortez, if uh, any, any of the, uh, Bernie Sanders, okay, if you offered them an all-expenses-paid vacation to Venezuela for a week or two weeks, do you think they'd go? Why don't they go to this paradise? Why don't they go to Cuba? Why don't they go to Venezuela and vacation there and experience paradise there? Is it because they they really believe what they're saying that this socialism is really the way to go? I I can't help but think that their reluctance to live in the existing socialist nations isn't a telling statement that they know it's poison, but they they're just uh, looking looking to be the top dogs in a socialist nation because they say how they live, not how the people live. That's what they want. Um, it's doomed to failure. I mean, when you when you reward... I told the kids recently... I'm sorry. I told the kids recently about a college professor who was facing some students who are these snowflake types of students who were objecting that there was such a divide 
in the grading of the class. That there were students who were getting A's, others getting B's and C's and D's. They thought this was absolutely intolerable. Uh, that this that this was not equitable. This was not equal. This was not equality, and they were demanding equality. And of course, some of the best students were demanding equality. Some of the students were earning the 90s and 95 percents of the test. They were also on board that this was not equal. This is shameful. They were embarrassed for their success, and while others were were not doing so well, <coughs> and so the professor made a deal with me. He said, "Well, look, I'll, I'll do this. Okay, <coughs> this year." This is how I will grade you all. I will administer the test, and then I will average it all out so you all get the same grade. Okay. So if one person gets a ninety-five, another gets a seventy-five, both of them will get an eighty-five. But it's not going to be just the two, any two of you. It's all of you together. I'll do that with all of you. So uh, sure enough. Uh, the next test, they all got, well, maybe an 85%, right? Because there were those who still pulled really good grades and those who didn't pull such good grades. And uh, the next test, it went down to about maybe 75. The next test, quite a bit lower. It's easy to see why. I mean, the students who are working hard and trying to do their best, no matter what they did, their grades were being determined by those who weren't trying hard and weren't doing their best. So their grades were inevitably going to be marked lower and lower. The ones, by the way, who were doing the poorest saw no incentive for working harder because whereas before they might have been getting 50%, now they were getting 70% without working any harder at all. They could even work less. And the others were, were, were dragging them up. By the end of the class, everybody failed. And that's socialism. That's exactly how it works. You, you take those who produce, take away from them what they produce, and give it to those who don't. You're discouraging those who produce anything, and you're encouraging those who produce nothing. And pretty soon, there is no produce to give anybody. There's nothing to give anybody, right? And now they have to survive off by eating the crumbs that fall under the table of the, the masters, right? Uh, in the mansions. So uh, this is what socialism does. I mean, I, I <laughs> need to get off on the subject here, no, but that's... it's it's just inconceivable, inconceivable sure. to me mm -hmm. uh, that we have people who who really believe that this is a good idea. Mm -hmm. it, I think, Father, that a very similar thing happened when the pilgrims first came over to to the United States. I believe it only took them a matter of, of months, I believe, to figure this out. Where when they first came over, they had a, a community garden where everyone was supposed to do their equal share and then they would distribute all the produce from that equally and i believe they almost starved to death the first mm -hmm. the first um the first time they went through all, all of this so very quickly very quickly they decided well wait it's going to be better if each pilgrim has his individual land and he has to work it himself that way he he reaps the fruits of his labor and then they have something to share then they have something to be charitable with. And because of that, the, the next very next harvest, they had an abundance because mm. of that. So they went from almost starving to death to having an abundance just because of this, this simple well, idea. But Well, there you are, Tom. Prime example. Yeah. Right from the beginning. And by the way, what does it have to do with what our, our writer wrote about here? Well, you know, usury is one of the tools used to enslave nations. Usury is one of the tools to, is to create socialism. Uh, it is a prime motive force behind uh, socialism to have the entire nation go into debt. Uh, so, uh, I mean, it does, it is pertinent to what this gentleman is asking. 
Do you see socialism in the future for the United States? I do. How soon? Uh, no. It's just uh, socialism becoming more and more entrenched, right? We're, we're in the process. We're definitely in the process of being socialized. This is going on for quite some time now. And we haven't... Uh, we've got along with it. We've allowed it to happen, okay, by allowing uh, elected officials to get into government and begin... Suddenly, they see the virtues of socialism, the government, the politicians, and their bureaucrats controlling things. They like it. It's a better view from up there, different view from up there. <clears throat> so, yes, they're willing to go along with that. Um, but it's, it's an evil thing, clearly. Mm -hmm. And, uh, you know, St. Popeyes XI said it very well. He said, no one can be, at the same time, a good Catholic and a sincere socialist. It's impossible. So what happens next, Father? Where do we go from here on this path to socialism? Well, socialism is a result of immorality. You know, you mentioned uh, people selling themselves or buy, buying themselves right, into debt. And uh, what is that? That's a result of a lack of self-control. That's a result of the uh, instant gratification society, the instant gratification mentality. I have to have this. Everybody else has this. Why can't I have it? I can't afford it. But I can get it this way, and then if I have the money, fine. If I don't, fine. It doesn't matter because I got what I wanted. And, of course, as soon as they get it, they want something else, too. And uh, they, they talk about the consumer society, okay? Well, um, that that can be easily understood in the sense of a society that whose appetites are just out of control. They've got to have it, right? And... Um, and this is what happens when they, when they do that. Look at the Great uh, Depression. You know, look at what happened there. <clears throat> yes, you know there was a, a the the businesses were booming. Okay, stocks were going higher and higher and higher. Um, it was capitalism, but run amok in the sense that it was not controlled by any by morality or even by reason. People saw the stock market increasing. They thought, well, let's buy in. <clears throat> they might not have the money to buy, but they go to the banks and borrow money <clears throat> to buy stocks. Right? They go to the money to borrow money to buy borrow money to buy stocks, and the idea that yes, I'll have to pay the bank back a certain amount of interest, maybe whatever three percent or whatever. But in the meantime, in the same amount of time that the bank is charging me three percent in my loan. I will make 10% because the stock has been, you know, increasing in value that much at that rate. So I come out ahead. The bank comes out ahead. Everybody comes out ahead until the bubble bursts, right? Until suddenly the stocks whose value is inflated don't bring back a 10% return. Maybe I lose money in my stock investment. How do I pay the bank back? Then, then there's a run on the bank, right? Because people say, well, they don't have enough money to pay back everybody. <clears throat> so I better go to the bank and demand my money now. Then the banks get closed. People don't have the money. They've done this to themselves, though, by their greed. When people start looking at this as winning the lottery, <clears throat> well, I mean, we, we might say the same thing happens with the insurance industry. When people start playing the insurance industry as though they can win the lottery, you know, by bringing lawsuits and and, uh, and, and again, you know, the attorneys, the lawyers are involved in this because they make their money by handling law, you know, often them leaving lawsuits and so on. And, um, 
So, you know, you get everybody uh, thinking, okay, I'm going to make money this way. And not everybody can make money that way. You know, it's impossible. Um, it's like everybody thinking that, well, I'm going to, you know, spend my life savings on lottery tickets. And everybody's thinking, I'm going to win the lottery. And guess what? It's, it's, it's a moral problem. Yes. And until the morality of this country is uh, restored, then we're doomed to uh, repeat history, unfortunately. And so the question really comes down to how are we going to restore the morality of the country? We're going to restore true faith, not fake, false faith, right? Like fake news, you know? true faith, okay? And... Uh, we have to restore the virtue of hope in our Lord Jesus Christ and charity, the love for God, the love for a neighbor, uh, as God wishes. And we have to restore, in other words, the, the traditional moral principles of our traditional Catholic faith. It really has to come down to that. Right. Father, I thought it was very interesting. Dave Ramsey and his his team, they just did, uh, they just performed the largest ever study on millionaires <laughs> and wealthy people in America. And they found that almost exactly none of them use debt to gain their wealth. And, and the most common response they gave to the question of how did you become wealthy is they said, I lived on less than I made and, and I was very honest in, in all of my, my business mm-hmm. transactions. And they found that to be almost a universal theme among all of the wealthy people in America, mm-hmm. that they became wealthy by being honest, by being frugal, by being prudent. And I think there's a great lesson. <coughs> did they interview people who were dealing in hedge funds? I believe so. Just any, uh, it was, it was, uh, I believe he said over three, I forget the exact number, but there was, there was a very large number of just any, any millionaire in America. Did millionaires become, did any of those millionaires become millionaires through usury? I don't believe so. (laughs) Well, I think if they interviewed them, they would have found out something very different about them. Mm -hmm. Okay. Because that's money manipulation. Mm -hmm. Okay. And um, it is, it is abhorrent. Okay, but you're right. I mean, any of the, any real entrepreneur gained what he gained by hard work, inventiveness, dedication, perseverance. Right? That's what they say. It's one percent. They say um, inventiveness and one percent. Uh, what is the expression? Exactly. It's ninety-nine percent. Perspiration, one percent inspiration, ninety-nine percent perspiration. And um, you know that's that's the way it should be. This was the this was really the American way. Um, that's why people could come here mm-hmm. and bring their desire to hard work, their to study, to learn, and to invent. Okay, and produce uh, things that really made people's lives better throughout the world, you know. Um, I mean, until we had refrigerators, you know, delivering ice, right? <laughs> um, and, 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 and the food lasted, so, you know, rotted right there, you know, in a matter of days, you know, so you had to eat what you could while you could. And, um, you know, the, uh, well, now we've grown up in generations, like we're the, what are we, the third or fourth generation that generally has had the benefit of Refrigerators? I mean, this is relatively recent, right? Mm-hmm. And now we look upon this as though this is just a standard operating procedure for mankind. Mm-hmm. It's not. We're living in this age. Somebody produced this. 
Now, Obama, you know, gets up and says, well, you're a company you didn't start. That's not yours, okay? <clears throat> that's, that's really the societies, meaning the governments, right? But the fact is, you have the entrepreneurs who had to devote a great deal of their time, effort, uh, knowledge, and uh, perspiration as well as, <laughs> um, as, well as inspiration mm -hmm. to make that happen. Mm -hmm. And they deserved a reward for that, mm -hmm. that effort. Sure. Um, but it couldn't have happened either unless people were willing to invest in that, mm -hmm. in their idea, and in them. It's really, an, I guess if you talk to an interpreter now, and he is talking to those, he, you know, people who have ideas, and he wants to fund other people's ideas and work, he, he looks upon it as an investment in that person, right? Right. And his desire to produce something of real value. Mm -hmm. So, but th this really, really was the American way. It wasn't just a matter of the shell game with money and uh, uh, playing the market, you know. It was a matter of actually producing something of value. Okay. Father, last thing, and then, and then I'll let you go. I wanted to get your take on this really quickly. This current event just in the news today, it came out that this Major League Baseball player, Mike Trout, he just received the... I believe it's the largest contract in sports history. I believe the numbers were the 12 year deal for $434 million. What's your take on that, Father? Well, somebody told me it was, he's certainly well worth it. You know? I, just, there, I just heard that. There were even some reports that he was underpaid. That he was underpaid. Well, underpaid. I mean, my goodness. <laughs> Why not $100 billion? You know, let's, let's you know, offer him what he's, what he's, what he's worth, you know, and despite, you know, I think, um, I think it's symptomatic of the corruption of our society. <clears throat> that we have people who are risking their lives, saving lives, and um, you know, and here we're paying somebody that to play a game. And I know I've heard it before, not long ago. Somebody was even telling me that you know people will pay to see this. So uh, since there are so many people who are willing to pay to see this man play baseball that he has a, a right to the share of the money that comes in because of his involvement, or at least some of it. You know, he should share in that. But one can say, okay, yeah, you know, he's doing this, performing this, okay? So you might say it has a certain value, okay? But is it only really the value that it has in terms of the market and the entertainment value? Is that, is that really the only way to measure the worth of what he's doing? You know? <clears throat> if you were to, I mean, and this may be off the subject, but if you were to go into the stands of a major league, let's say a National Football League uh, franchise, you went to the stands in a stadium on any given Sunday, and you were to interview the people in the stands and say, isn't... Isn't world hunger a problem? Isn't it terrible to see children starving to death somewhere in the world? Oh, they would all agree. They would all agree. This, this is awful. This is, it's inconceivable that in our modern times that could be happening. You know, how could this be so? And what about this disease or this village in Africa that you know, it doesn't have fresh water? You'd say, oh, yes, that's an evil. We have to remedy that evil. Well, who has to do it? Well, the government. We have to get the government involved. You know, they have to e remedy these, e these evils. And you think, well, now, what if we were to do this? What if one Sunday 
even one football franchise, let alone the entire NFL, were to simply say, let's take all of the money that would come in, all the advertising, all the advertising revenue, all the players' salaries. I mean, even the, the, uh, the utility costs of lighting up the stadiums and all the rest, right? Let's say we took all of that. I mean, all of the, 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 the value of the, you name it, you know, the money is to support the advertising revenues and all the rest. And you just took all of that money that was generated by that instead of letting people sit there and watch this for an hour and a half on one Sunday of their whole lives. And we devoted that money to solving this problem, right? Anywhere in the world, right? How much money are we talking about? Are we talking about a couple hundred dollars? A couple hundred million dollars? We're talking about a lot more than that, I would think, right? A lot more than that. And when you think about what each one of them would have to give up just for that one Sunday to take all of that revenue and apply it to one of these problems that we, we know are just really serious, awful, intolerable problems. And you ask, well, will you, would you give that up today? <clears throat> you know, go down the line. I don't know, how, I don't know what people would say. <clears throat> would you give up one, one NFL Sunday and all the revenue and pay, right? The people who, who are paying out for this would pay for this cause instead. Mm-hmm. I don't know what they'd say. Probably if you ask that question in Cincinnati, you might get some disgruntled Bengals fans who would ask you to pay them not to watch the Bengals. <laughs> well, I, I, I have a certain loyalty, I must admit, okay? But I, there are, uh, I know there are a lot of disgruntled Bengals. <laughs> but let's face it, I mean, <clears throat> unless their fans are uh, in the playoffs, mm. all of their fans are disgruntled, right? Yeah. Basically. So... There's another part of it. I mean, there's only a small, relatively small number of fans who are really happy with the whole, with the whole season anyway. So, um, but you know, you know, Tom, I, there's something really wrong with a society that that puts such value on that doesn't see there's something disordered about it. Sure. Um, now, if this gentleman who's making this four hundred eighty something million dollars, what is it? Four hundred thirty-four. Oh, I'm sorry. <laughs> Big difference. I'm talking about what he deserves. <laughs> 434 is what he's actually getting. That's a million dollars, right? Over 12 years. Over 12 years, mm-hmm. right? And um, if, if he were to take that money now, okay, and really use that money to accomplish really good things, mm-hmm. I mean, really thoughtfully and for some good purpose, and say, look, nobody, I don't really deserve that money and earn that money. In comparison with others, others are doing to just scrape by a living, and this is what I'm getting. I have an obligation before God to do something good with this, and to use it, as we Catholics would say, for the seven corporal works of mercy. I, I must devote my my exaggerated income, you know, to serve that purpose of God's purpose of the seven corporal works of mercy. Isn't that what our Lord said in Saint Matthew 25? I will turn you know, to those on my right hand and say, come ye blessed of my father and take possession of the kingdom. Because when I was hungry, you fed me. When I was thirsty, you gave me a drink. I mean, these are the seven corporal works of mercy. <clears throat> um, you know, if, if there were a good person who were earning that much money, and it, you know, you'd think he would have the understanding, this is what I have to do with this. Mm-hmm. I need a certain amount of money to live on. I need to take care of my family. <clears throat> but... The, the rest of this really 
I have a responsibility for them. Sure. Mm -hmm. And uh, one might say, well, injustice, do I owe it to other people? Well, maybe not injustice, but you can have a debt in charity, too. It can be a requirement in charity. There's an obligation in justice, but there's also an obligation in charity sure. that God will hold people responsible for. Right. So St. John Bosco made that point very strongly. Mm-hmm. To the uh, the ruling the ruling powers of, of Europe, he didn't hesitate to tell them their obligation and charity to take care of those in need. Mm-hmm. And uh, that's what we need. I mean, we need profits. And I'm not saying profits instead of losses. I'm saying profits will stand up and just speak the truth and the law of God about this. Mm-hmm. The new law, the law of the new, the new Testament, the new covenant. Um, the Beatitudes, and and so on. So, and starting with the commandments, and then of course going to Beatitudes too. We've got to get the people following, obeying the commandments. Even that is very hard to these days. Mm-hmm. Let alone observing the Beatitudes of our Lord in the Sermon on the Mount. But anyway, uh, I didn't really expect the whole program to be on this subject. <laughs> but, um, it is. Yeah, it was. Sure, sure. No, I, I think it's, uh, I think, yeah, we went on a bit longer than that, but I think it's it's a recurrent theme mm-hmm. that we hear a lot and it obviously impacts everyone's life. There's a, there's a magic word we haven't mentioned yet, though. Francis. Right. The man who is promoting socialism throughout the world. There's nothing but evil to say about capitalism, right? Mm-hmm. Francis, promoting socialism throughout the world and uh, cannot find it in him to condemn socialism but finds it in him to condemn capitalism all the time, right? So um, there you have uh, a real corruption. So, uh, but the problem is you've got many of these dutiful Catholic people who want to be Catholic, you know, who are hearkening to this, and they're taking it seriously as though it's the voice of the church, but it's not. It's the voice of Francis. They're two different things. That's right. So... uh, that's why when you look at Congress, our Congress, and you look at our Senate, and you see so many of those people are Nova Serval Catholics, and you would ask yourself, how can they be promoting this? And we're talking about Democrats with their abortion and all the rest now. <clears throat> abortion until birth, right? You ask, how is it possible that we're going to have so many <clears throat> Catholics in our own government? And... Uh, in power, not just bureaucrats, actually in power in our own government. And you see what's going on. And the answer, the Novus Ordo, the New Order, has done this. And, uh, of course, you know, the, 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 the uh, you, you'd almost call him the socialist in chief right now. Mm-hmm. It's not Maduro. And um, it's not even Castro. It's, he's in the Vatican. It's Francis. The corruption of the best thing is the worst thing. It's the worst corruption. Yeah. That's right. Father, thanks for being here tonight. I appreciate all of your time. Well, Tom, we've got to pray hard and be faithful through it all. That's fine. Thank you to all of our viewers for watching this episode of What Catholics Believe. Until next time, we ask that you all remember the words of Our Lady at Fatima to consecrate yourselves and your families to the Immaculate Heart of Mary and to pray and do penance. Thank you and God bless you.